It's time to get in the zone. The Fantasy Football Zone. Hey guys, where else would you rather be? Get involved with the show by following us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. Want a piece of that championship? Put it in here. This is the Fantasy Football Zone. Hey, it's PJ. Welcome back into the Fantasy Football Zone. This edition, all about those auction drafts. And joining us once again, NFL writer from Rotowire, Corey Smith. I got to be honest, up until last year, not too familiar with the auction league, but I've been doing some mocks and having a lot of fun with this. And I am, uh, I'm really liking the auction format. And again, it, it is fun to uh, have the control to pick who you want with the, as long as you stay in that budget. No question about it. What I love about auction drafts is kind of just it gives you a wider range of potential outcomes for your roster. You're not slotted into a snake draft where it's, it's really just the guys at the top of your board every time you come around. You have so much more flexibility, and I've often heard it compared as, you know, a auction is more of playing chess, whereas a snake draft is more checkers. Yep. I, I really do believe that. There's a ton of, I'd definitely say, more strategy that goes into an auction for sure than a snake draft. And, yeah, I mean, it is everything that you do with that, all the way to, like, the nominating process. I'm finding out, no, you don't want to start with the with the big guns right away. You don't want to go McCaffrey-Barkley right away. You want to nominate maybe... Um, I don't know, let's say uh, Mark Ingram the third or something, you know, something like that, just to see where everyone else is thinking of his sure. value. And then maybe that takes away from how much they can bid further down the road from somebody you actually want. Definitely. And it, to cite my example from last week, I saw Zach Moss, uh, the Bills rookie back out of Utah, as the first guy thrown up for, uh, for auction. <laughs> and I do think that's a wise strategy. See, you know, test the waters a little bit. But one thing, obviously, uh, you know, it can be a little bit um, kind of slip your memory or you're not focused on it if you get caught up. You really want to try, and I'm sure more experienced uh, fantasy players are yelling through the phone at me saying, duh, but you really want to try to retain budget through the process if you can. Yes. Just to keep leverage, because if you're going to burn out your budget and, you know, immediately and every guy that comes up, you're like, oh, I got to have them. Mm-hmm. You know, suddenly you're left with no leverage and you got guys picking up, you know, maybe lesser hype players, you know, A.J. Brown, someone for a crazy deal who just happens to be put up for bid late in the draft. So it's key to have something on the ledger at all times, I think. And what do you do, I guess, what would your strategy be, your advice for per position on the budget heading in? Because like you said, we do get caught up sometimes in this, and then we forget, oh yeah, I was only going to stick at about uh, $35 (laughs) for him, and I'm up to 40 now. Yeah, it's certainly key to be disciplined and have a board going in. You know, sure, you can go a, a couple dollars over. If you find yourself in a unique position uh, and you, you have to have a guy for a certain reason, you know, say it gets late in the draft, you're saying, man, I, I just really don't have, you know, I feel good about my quarterback, my running backs. I really don't have a receiver who can pop in my lineup. And you start to see those guys going off the board. Of course, you can spend up a little bit here and there. But generally, and of course, you know, people have a different quarterback strategy than me. Mm-hmm. But I usually go pretty cheap on the quarterback. Yes. And I'll, I'll often spend up on tight end if, if it allows. But I'll, I'll usually try to keep the quarterback down to somewhere under 10%, certainly. And if I can get a guy for 2 3 bucks in a $200 auction, uh, like Josh Allen, for instance, I got last week, I love that kind of strategy just because it opens up 
so many more options for positions that are more scarce, such as running back. I think running back and receiver, you want to spend cumulatively around 70 to 80% of your budget and reserve the remaining 20 for QB and tight ends. You save on QB, you go up at tight end. That's typically how I go. We, we know there's more receiver depth. I'm thinking we got to really stress running back depth at the top. That is one of the key things. So for me, the key fixture number is there, 40% of my budget, even 50 in that range for running back. That's really where I'm looking, number one, with this year's class. Now, of course, we've got some top-end receivers who are really unlike anybody else. Mm -hmm. Of course, Michael Thomas, setting the record last year for most catches in a season, just insanely prolific year for him. And there's a few guys like that who are just different animals. You know, the Julio Jones of the world, the DeAndre Hopkins, uh, certainly when he was in Houston, we'll see how his new destination affects uh, his production. But for me, at the top of the board, especially in an auction, I'm really looking to stress that running back position, and those are typically the only guys who I see meriting 25% of the budget, mm-hmm. except for certain six, you know, one-off situations. All right, so let's just get into it. Those big-name running backs, they are going to be the majority of your budget. We'll start off with Christian McCaffrey. Where is he looking at right now? He is unquestioned the number one guy, and it's uh, deservedly so for Christian McCaffrey. I don't think that even uh, Russell Wilson's Mr. Unlimited could <laughs> top what Christian McCaffrey is, at least in terms of a fantasy asset. I could not believe this stat, Paul, when I saw this. He had nearly 50%, 5-0, more production than the number two running back in fantasy last year. In PPR, he averaged 29.5 points per game. Dalvin Cook came in at number two, under 21 points per game. Just an unbelievable year from Christian McCaffrey last year. The year before that, he, he was pretty much tied with Saquon Barkley in 2018 as the number one running back. As a rookie, he was top 10. This is a guy with zero games missed in three seasons, one of two players in NFL history with 300 catches in his first three seasons. And this last stat that I want to share on McCaffrey, which is why he is the number one player in fantasy this year, and worth about 30% of your budget. If you took away all of his receiving production from last year, if he literally had zero catches, no no receiving production, he would have been running back 13 in PPR. <laughs> if you took away 100% of Christian McCaffrey's rushing production, he would have been wide receiver 12 in PPR. <laughs> this guy is yes. just a freak and just the best of both worlds. Now, Paul, the risk is, and I want to see where you land on this, he hasn't missed any games, but still, that's a lot of eggs to put in one basket if you're going to go all in on McCaffrey this year. And uh, the Matt Rule system. Now, I would have to imagine this might be in his you know, favor because obviously we've seen it out of Baylor and I think it's some of his time in the NFL, he loves throwing the ball. And that's obviously yeah. going to help out McCaffrey a little bit, but I wonder if that's going to take away from his actual uh, rushing totals this year. But I, I'm not arguing. He's the number one guy off the board. Those are just my little concerns heading into, I don't know if he can continue the monster production he's had here like he, like he did last year. Certainly. And I think I almost have to think he's going to regress. It, it's hard to believe yeah. he's going to finish uh, 50% better than any other player. <laughs> but I, I think that the process still is. He, in any format virtually, if you're following a process where – I'm, I'm playing my best odds. I think he's still the guy. I definitely hear you. New coach, always concerns with that. But I think overall, 
has to be him. Number two off the board, it's going to be Saquon Barkley. Or I've seen him get up there as well with those uh, bids so far in uh, some of those mocks and auctions. Uh, where do you see him? Uh, is he just a couple dollars short of McCaffrey level, or in some instances, is he going as much as McCaffrey? Now, I haven't really seen him go quite at the same value. I'm sure in in certain leagues, uh, you'll see that, you know, a big blue fan club, giant yes, fan club. Exactly. And Saquon Barkley, look, there's no one more talented than Saquon Barkley. I mean, Christian McCaffrey, absolutely for his money, I don't think you could differentiate who's better. They're a little bit different in their skill sets, very similar in a lot of ways. But, man, there is no one as talented as, as Saquon Barkley. He's a prodigy-level guy. Uh, while winning the Rookie of the Year in 2018, he became the third rookie in NFL history to eclipse 2,000 scrimmage yards, just him, Eric Dickerson, and Edron James. Also, he's a guy with just the ability to break the big play, unlike anyone else. Nine 50-yard runs since he's entered the league. And he also kind of quietly, of course, he has some injury concerns last year, missed three games, which may have kind of dinged his production. But they did improve up front. They uh, they did lose Nate Solder. Uh, he opted out for the season, understandably so, of course. But Kevin Zeitler, a former Pro Bowl guard, he's coming into another year with the team. Will Hernandez continues to develop. And, of course, they just got Andrew Thomas out of Georgia, number four overall. Uh, he's, a, he's a big boy. He's definitely going to have an immediate impact on that line. So I think that Barkley, overall, there's a lot more contention about this pick, but he slots in for number two for me, not as much of a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing his value. He's more towards upper 20 percentile. Like he's getting kind of 27 percent of the budget, whereas McCaffrey's more towards you know 32 percent of the budget on the upper end. Now I'm going to ask kind of a strategy question. This might be the dumbest thing in the world, but if you you know you see the bidding, they're go- they're getting up there. Is this where you try to bid them up as high as you can because this is going to cut into oh. there? If you see two guys going at it and you just start. Do you try to do that strategy here because that might blow their budget for everything else down the line? I think you push them for a bit, but you've always got to, with that strategy, be willing to take them. I think that anytime you push well, yeah. that bid button, you, you know, I've done that myself, Paul, where I've been, I've been bidding them up. I'm like, he's going to keep going. <laughs> yes. And I'll end up with a guy I don't want. I'm like, oh, I did not want this guy for this price. But I agree with you, Paul. you gotta, you got to definitely try to push it up and think about the end of the draft. You know, when people are down to the end of their budget, Every little bit up front counts. If you can push people up in the beginning, definitely do it. I am 100% on board with that strategy. But don't do, don't pull one of my moves where you end up, you know, spending up for someone you don't want. Yeah. So that's, that's my only concern, but certainly have to drive up the prices where you can. Yeah, because you can live with Saquon and Christian McCaffrey on your team, even though you may have overpaid. I mean, if it didn't work out in the end, oh, darn, I have the number one and number two overall player. I mean, that's where I see where you try to drive them up. But when you're fighting for the number 10 overall wide receiver, I I can't do it there. I agree with you, especially a wide receiver where there's so much depth. Really, you're going to see a lot of those guys kind of clump together in probably the 10 to 25 range. You know, it it varies year to year, but there's a lot more uh, of a stretch. And you can go, go later with receiver depth, as we know. That holds true for this year as well. And uh, once you get to that, you know, fringe wide receiver one and you see yourself going out of your budget, you really got to ask yourself, like you said, why do I need this specific guy? Is there not another three or four people who are going to virtually fill the same role? It's always important to check yourself on that and check myself for sure. 
And then after that, down the line, getting back to the running backs, the other guys we're looking at, obviously Zeke and Alvin Kamara, they could be coming off at the same price range for those bids you know, in this draft. And again, two solid names. Can't go wrong with them. They're virtually in the same ballpark. I've been leaning typically Zeke at the three spot, uh, but I can absolutely see it going either way. It's, it's more or less of a coin toss, and they're going typically just a couple bucks under Saquon's value. Uh, we look at Zeke, a top four NFL draft pick when he came into the league, and so far he's definitely produced as such. Uh, he's averaged over 1,350 yards per season. Last week we mentioned Chubb, Derrick Henry as being the best pure rushers in the league. I mean, unquestionably, you look at Zeke and his 4.6 yards per carry average for his career, and he, he's got to be in the mix. And uh, the workload is certainly there. That's always the number one thing with Zeke. Besides the clear talent, it's just you know the, you know the Cowboys are going to pump him the rock. He's averaged a shade under 21 carries per game for his career. It's still a really good line with Travis Frederick, who's going to retire. But, you know, also the outlook on Zeke has changed as a pass catcher. This is the last thing I want to mention on him. Mm-hmm. Look at the way he's developed as a pass catcher between, you know, when he came into the league and where he is now. His first two years in the league, he only averaged just under 40 targets. But, you know, his rookie and sophomore year as an NFL player, he averaged just 29 catches per game. Sorry, he averages 29 catches per season. His third and fourth seasons, the last two years, he's averaged 74 and a half catches per season. So he's gone from an average, his first and second year, 29 catches per year. The last two years, he's averaged just under 75 catches per year. So that's not quite McCaffrey and Barkley level, but man, that's really darn good. And that's, you know, just a shade under elite level, in my opinion. And with the new coach, McCarthy, coming in, I mean, that will continue because he loves the West Coast, you know, that kind of style. So there's going to be, I believe, the more opportunities for him to, you know, get keep with that number or improve on it this year. Definitely. And, of course, they, they keep telling more, too. I'm interested to see how much of this, Paul, do you see, you know, staying as last year? And I, I guess some to some degree it's really impossible to tell, but – are they going to run a lot of the same stuff or a lot of the same uh, system as last year, or do you think McCarthy overwhelms it and it could complicate things? I'm curious to see that dynamic. See, I you know after you sat out for a year, I think he might be a little itching to maybe you know open things up a little bit more and uh, you know show what he can do again because you know during his last couple years in Green Bay, it was always questioned. Well, he's not doing so much you know why why is he using Rodgers this way they're not opening up enough or or things like that or they weren't running the ball enough that was the other big thing against him is they're not running enough and I'm wondering how many guys in the draft are going to be kind of cautious of that because kind of did the numbers did show yeah they would not run uh, in some key situations but I I think with it he's got obviously the talent the most talented running back I think he's ever worked with in Zeke Elliott. So, I mean, I, I can't see those numbers going down this year. I would agree. Definitely most talented back I can think of McCarthy's worked with. But if you're not hot on Zeke for those reasons, concerned about the new coaching system or, you know, just concerned about the situation overall, Kamara is a guy who's virtually going in the same ballpark for the Saints. Mm-hmm. Now, he admitted last week, at least this is a Bleacher Report, uh, this was a post that was up. He's noted that he played through an MCL tear for part of last season. And we know that he hurt his knee uh, week six, missed two games, and it sounds like he was banged up for a lot of last year, Kamara. Well, hopefully that was the case because I know a lot of people were disappointed with what the production was, and, well, that that could obviously 
lead to why it was down. That certainly could be the cause. I mean, the fact that he had zero 100-yard rushing games last year, I mean, that, that certainly turned some heads. And, mm-hmm. But you look at his receiving, on the other hand, really just as consistent as they come. I mean, he's had exactly 81 catches in each of his first three seasons. He's going to have around 100 targets in the passing game. And, you know, when he gets in the open field, he is extremely electrifying as a rusher, whether he's getting the ball out of the backfield or in the passing game. So, I mean, we definitely have a little bit of hesitation. At least I, where is that knee? It's something we weren't even privy to, which is really, you know, we had no idea about that. I didn't mm-hmm. until just recently. So, I mean, to trust, to trust it at this point, I can see some trepidation there, but uh, we'll, we'll see with Kamara. If you're not into Zeke, he's certainly a guy with comparable value. 35-plus receiving yards in eight of his 14 appearances last year. High PPR floor. And you wonder if Emmanuel Sanders coming to town will maybe pull some guys uh, and give you know, some more open space to Kamara with him finally having a legit number two wide receiver out there. I got to ask you about Dalvin Cook because uh, it seems like you're either in on him or you're not with uh, people around uh, if, you know, how much you're going to pay for him this year. Because again, there's always the injury factory factor in there and all this other stuff. But he is coming off a great season. But are you willing to spend uh, some cash on him in the auction this year? It may be a similar diagnosis to Kamara where I'm lukewarm or even a little bit cooler on Cook, I think. Now, if we're talking about a snake draft, if Cook comes around in my neighborhood, if I'm at the five, six, seven pick and he's sitting there, it's a little bit of a different situation for me. Yep. Because in an auction, you're spending up, period. Like, you're, you're putting down your budget. And if I'm going to be putting down $50 on the $200 budget or basically a quarter of my budget, and I'm saying this is my number one running back, I think that we can go elsewhere with that pick and just be a little bit safer. Of course, we've had the every other year kind of injury concerns, and that doesn't go away. Contract situation is resolved. He's been in camp. That's still somewhat up in the air. So for me, especially in an auction, I'm, I'm kind of shying away from Cook, and I'd rather spend up on Barkley, spend up on McCaffrey, or even wait for a guy a little bit later instead of going for Cook and where he's going around 26% right now of the budget. And then uh, Derrick Henry, too, you know, kind of wraps up the top backs off the board before you start looking at you know wide receiver and, and the other uh, backs in those tiers. But, uh, again, he, he looks like he's going to be rounding off that phase of top money backs and uh, is he is he worth it? I guess this year he, it seems like the last year and a half he's he's his production has merited it. It has, and I think that what makes you feel good about Henry is it just feels like their offense is built around him entirely. I mean, the fact that they retained Tannehill and he had so much success running the offense with him that gives you some security. Same head coach, and you know, just immense workload. His three hundred and three rush attempts last year led the entire NFL for Henry, uh, of course, the NFL's rushing king, and his 16 rushing touchdowns tied your boy Aaron Jones for an NFL best. I mean, it's really just across the board, everything you want, except for that receiving upside, really. He's going to get the goal line work. He's going to get the carries, period. You're going to get your points in a different way, but I think that he is certainly a guy on the border, but worth that 25%, worth $50 in the $200 league. Yeah, I'm I'm in on Henry, even though he's going to get you the points a different way. Mm-hmm. I don't know where you stand on him. See, he's been Mr. Workhorse. I I 
again, the whole injury thing, I and he doesn't show a history of it, but it's just eventually these guys break down after that, and I, I hope this season it, it doesn't happen because, I mean, he's put up some fantastic games and helped so many people in fantasy win these uh, last couple of years. But the 300-plus oh. you know, attempts is starting to scare me a little bit. Hey, he certainly made some, uh, some GMs happy the last few years. And he's still, you know, it feels like he's been in the league for quite a long time. Yeah. He's still sitting at 26 years old. But we talk about, uh, unfortunately, just the deterioration of the body playing in the NFL. I don't think it's any more evident than at the running back position. Uh, man, just especially him being a workhorse, we haven't seen the clear – concern the red flag yet but those two factors i mean he's only 26 but at the same time an nfl running back at 26 he really he could be entering the backstage of his career already it's as crazy that is to say so now we got those top backs off the board now of course we're looking for deals out there and guys that maybe aren't going as high as we thought and uh there's a pretty good list of guys out there uh we'll start you know in pittsburgh with james connor i've noticed this that he is not going for a lot. You get a starting running back out of him and uh, production as well that he's put up. Obviously, injury concerns, but for the price that he's going for, it could be a pretty good deal. No question about the injury concerns. I mean, he's missed multiple games in each of his year, each of his NFL seasons. But at the same time, this guy is just one year removed from a top six PPR finish at the position. I mean, he just absolutely exploded the same year that Juju broke out in 2018. Uh, 13 total touchdowns, 55 catches, really solid in that department as well. But, you know, it looks like Tomlin is liking what he's seeing from Connor these days. He's saying Connor is a featured guy with Tomlin's quote, and he's a proven runner when healthy. He said, we're excited to get him back this year and show that he can display he's a featured guy. Is basically the gist of his comments on Mm -hmm. Connor's health at the moment. Then you think about, okay, the coach is feeling pretty good about him. We've seen him be a definite RB1 before. The other thing you like, they got a really good front five. Their offensive line is very skilled. They've got two pro bowlers, of course, from last year in Pouncey and DeCastro. Alejandro Villanueva had back-to-back pro bowl years in 17 and 18. So up front, you really like what they've got. And the Steelers, they will define a workhorse back. I mean, Le'Veon Bell, perhaps, and I would make the argument, a different kind of talent and perhaps just a more, you know, explosive dynamic talent than Connor. Mm-hmm. But he averaged 25.6 touches per game with the Steelers. Okay, well, he's a star. D'Angelo Williams, I mean, he was a pretty old – he was certainly a veteran player by the time he got to Pittsburgh. He averaged almost 23 touches per game. And Connor in his career is right around 21 touches per game as a Steeler. So I think that this is a guy, he's going to get the work. The coach is saying he likes where he's at health-wise. And last year, too, I mean, it's not just 2018. Last year, he was a top 10 back the first eight weeks of the season before he went down with injury. He was dealing with a quad and the shoulder, and he only played 54 snaps total from week nine on. But first half of the year, this guy was a top 10 back. And with his current auction price going around 25 bucks or so, he's like the 20th running back off the board. Definitely a guy with top 10 upside, in my opinion, in James Conner. And then another guy, you know, Kenyon Drake, who came over in Arizona. I know a lot of people are are loving him uh, this year. Will he continue, though, what he did after he got traded over there? And uh, do you justify him where he's going? Because he's, he's going higher than Connor, and uh, he's, you know, somewhat in that top ten. He's on the fringe of that conversation with running backs. He's close to it in the upper teens. So 
where do you see his rate going and how do you feel comfortable with him in an auction? I'm feeling all right about Drake, and I think that his draft position is about fair. I think that if I get him around 20% of the budget, I'm feeling pretty good about it. And the reason that I say that, I mean, certainly his career with the Dolphins, mixed results. He showed a lot of capability, but it wasn't until last year. I mean, he was really just handed the keys with the Cardinals. Uh, Averaged just under 80% of the offensive snaps per game. Averaged about 18 and a half touches per game while he was with the Cardinals for the second half of last year. So 18 and a half touches per game, not quite workhorse level, but pretty close to it. And the last three weeks of last year, he was just insane. He averaged nearly 140 scrimmage yards per game. The last three games of the year, he came down with seven rushing touchdowns, 6.3 yards per carry. I'm going to say this, though, about him. I will say it with a caveat. I do really like Drake. We're seeing that his snap count overall, like I mentioned, was around 80%. So we know the Cardinals will give him the workhorse share. But if I'm investing in Drake, I'm also definitely investing in the young back out of Fordham, the old uh, Lombardi stomping ground. (laughs) Chase Edmonds. This is a guy, I love Chase Edmonds as a guy that you want to get as a second back in a backfield if you're going to take the Cardinals top back in Drake. I think you've got to take Chase Edmonds too. And when he got a start last year against the Giants, he went crazy. So for me, I'm just going to say that caveat. I think Drake is appropriately valued where he's at. Definitely try to grab Chase Edmonds if I have Kenyon Drake on my roster. Now, what about the Ravens backfield? And uh, again, Mark Ingram the third. you know, for the records that they set rushing last year, Again, I know a lot of it was Lamar Jackson helping out, but, uh, I mean, he helped out as well with that, and he's his value is down there this year in auction leagues, it seems like. It really is, and I've been kind of surprised by that. I'll say this to compare. I mean, you can get, in a lot of leagues, Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins as a stack for about the same price that you can get James Conner at by himself. Yeah. Now, of course, we've got Lamar Jackson, and he's a big reason for the stat. But Baltimore averaged over 60 more rushing yards per game than the second-best team in the NFL. So they were easily the top rushing team. Of course, like I said, a lot of it goes to Jackson, but they're going to be down in the red zone. They led the NFL with four red zone trips per game last year. And if I've ever seen a goal line back, Ingram is that guy. He is just built to punish people down into the goal line, frankly, and punch it in. He knows how to do that. And Dobbins really similarly fills that same skill set in a lot of ways. Perhaps a bigger uh, home run hitter Dobbins will be. But, you know, they're both big backs. And I think that stack, that's one of the big steals of this year. I don't know what's going on, but those two guys, Ingram and Dobbins, you can get them for around 12 13% of your budget. If I'm locking them into a running back slot every, every week, one or the other, I'm loving that. I think this is one of the steals of the draft, the Ravens backfield. Le'Veon Bell. The Jets have nothing else to do, basically. They got to give it to him. So, or unless Gase doesn't like him that week and he doesn't play him, who knows? But he seems to be as well another steal down there. If you need quality, you know, production at the price, he could be a good one for you. No question about it. An old crazy eyes Gase can be <laughs> difficult to predict. Yes. We don't know what he's going to do week to week, what mood he's going to be in with the media. But, I mean, Bell, he got the work last year. He had over 300 touches. 3.2 yards per carry, really unbelievably bad for a guy as talented as Bell. Of course, held out the year before, maybe a bit rusty, but we've seen the Jets make some additions up front. We've seen the new GM, Joe Douglas, nice pickup getting George Fant from the Seahawks. Connor McGovern, similarly from the Broncos, uh, interior lineman who's going to add some, you know, some ability to that front. And also the big pick, the notable pick, is Mekhi Becton. Yes. They take him number 11 overall. 
just a uh, just a behemoth. I mean, he's going to um, really. I hope for the Jets, they they could use it pick up that line. I think that's the key pickup, of course. Investing a top twelve pick, that's huge capital, but that's a big pickup for them getting Beckton, and that will reflect on Bell's value, I think. And also, like you mentioned, Paul, we got just a lack of weapons around Denzel Mims already dealing with a hamstring injury, the second round pick out of Baylor, and then you know who they brought in, Chris Hogan. All right, I mean, I'm not I'm not yeah. running around the neighborhood and setting off alarms or anything. Rashad Perriman, he was crazy over the second half of last year. I got to give it to him. Rashad mm-hmm. Perriman in that Bucks offense. Yeah, I considered him a bust, unquestionably, and he really, really came on as the year went along. But then again, he's only done it really once. I mean, he did have some spots with the Ravens early on, but overall, disappointing as a Raven, he's really only shown that flash with the Bucks. I don't know. Like, I feel okay about Perriman, but. If you got him and Crowder and Herndon, there's a lot of questions. Bell, he's going to get the ball. There's no question about it. Bell's going to get the work this year. Then we got David Johnson. Uh, again, his rate, I mean, his value has been obviously tumbling down since the injury. What do you think? Uh, is he worth the price or not this year? Now, if you can get Johnson as your RB2, kind of a mid-range RB2 in that range, kind of – Similarly to uh, where Connor's going in a lot of drafts, I think that's definitely a fair deal and even a deal that could turn out to be extremely profitable for your fantasy team. Uh, You know, as bad of a deal as it was for the Texans, in my opinion, they still valued Humble Rumble, a.k.a. David Johnson, as a key piece to making that trade work. I mean, as, as much as I didn't like the trade, he was a key piece to that trade. So that makes me think Bill O'Brien and the Texans They've got an idea. They, they want to use this guy. And last year, the Texans' backs, they really produced. I mean, Duke Johnson and Carlos Hyde, 1,900 scrimmage yards and 14 touchdowns as a duo. Uh, a lot of work, 300 offensive touches between the two. I don't even think necessarily, you know, we were a little bit concerned about Duke Johnson. Maybe will he uh, intervene a bit on his workload? I don't know. They, they've never really handed him the keys. He's definitely a really nice piece to that backfield, but... I think that Johnson, if you can get him as your two, even with the risk of the injury, I still feel pretty good. And I think I'm warming up a bit on him as the weeks go on. I'm going to throw out one more that, uh, you know, I have seen him go for a buck, maybe two. It's James White as the Patriots back. I can't believe he's going for that because of the situation in the backfield. Yeah, I know they got Damian Harris. They signed Lamar Miller, but he's on the pup list now. Uh, Sony Michelle looks like he might be on there as well. And James White has proven that he'll he'll catch the ball out of the backfield. And you got Cam now that is going to look for him. I, I can't believe he's going for that low. That's an insanely cheap price for James White. This is a guy two years ago, 2018, was a top 10 PPR back. Now, certainly it's night and day, his value PPR versus standard. But if we're talking about PPR, his, his price tag is ridiculously low. He's averaged nearly 80 catches over each of the last two years. And he's also had 12 receiving touchdowns the last two years. Other thing about this is you kind of like, I mean, I'm not sure about Nikhil Harry. We mentioned we like him down the field. We'll see if Cam, how his shoulder is doing. That's going to be an X factor to Harry's ability. But in terms of White and Cam, what we think he's going to definitely be able to do is dump the ball short. And it's something that really has been a part of Cam's game. And we've seen McCaffrey go crazy with Cam in the past. Yeah, James White. Give me some James White. I'm all over him. If you're getting him for a couple bucks all day, he is very underrated this year. 
And then we got the wide receivers. We know the big dogs we talked about. They're going to go off the board. Michael Thomas, again, Julio Jones, uh, Devontae Adams. They're going to go for the big prices. We're looking for the steals. Let, let's face it. <laughs> because, oh, yeah. I, I mean, that's what it's going to be because you're going to pay your big money on the running back position. So we're looking at some of those steals at wide receivers. And I, I guess Mike Evans is a name that I've seen that in that mid-range – could have a big potential with Tom Brady this year. I, I, I kind of like him, I guess, if in one of those mid names that is uh, going low because you got the Godwin factor as well. That uh, that is starting, I think, taking away maybe a little bit of where he's going. No question about it. And we know with Mike Evans, you know, as good of a downfield guy as there is in the league, as good of a contested catch guy as there currently is in the NFL, he's a little bit boom busty for being such a star and being a clear number one receiver, but. Man, with Brady, I think his consistency, we can expect it to go up this year. And we know that Arian, he loves to push the ball. He loves to push the ball through the air. And uh, Carson Palmer, a couple 4,000-yard seasons towards the end of his career working with Bruce Arians. Yeah, I, I think that both of these guys are, I think, probably back-end receiver ones in a 10-team league. Although Godwin and Evans are certainly going to give you a different skill set uh, between the two. Another guy that we like, young guy, DK Metcalf. Uh, I, I, again, I've been seeing him go very uh, very affordable in auctions so far in these mocks. What about you? Super affordable. And I think that this legitimately is top 10 potential in Metcalf. You know, him and Lockett, they, there isn't a ton of depth at the position for them behind that. They did get Greg Olson at the tight end position, which maybe takes some uh, middle field targets. But the scoring opportunities for Metcalf are immense. As a rookie, to lead the NFL in end zone targets, that certainly says something. And it says something about the trust that Russell Wilson, a clear premier quarterback in this league, has in Metcalf. Uh, I only think his role is going to grow. I mean, they, they use him over 80% of the plays last year on offense. It's going to stay at that level or increase. And really the buzz out of Seahawks camp has been, this is the guy this year. That's what I've been seeing from beat reporters around the team, and it seems like he's kind of the hype player of Seahawks camp this year. And another name I can't believe. Now, I know the rookie quarterback coming on, and, uh, well, Tyrod Taylor and Herbert is going to be split in time. Who knows? But Keenan Allen, I mean, for a guy that's a number one wide receiver and – what he's going for, I, I again, it's another one that miffs me. Great value that you can get in, in auctions right now. This is kind of a similar deal to the Ravens' backfield. It's kind of that big of a disparity <laughs> between uh, what I expect them to produce and where they're going. This is a top 10 PPR receiver. In fact, in standard PPR scoring, he's the number six receiver last year. Yes. He's going as a he's going as a six-rounder in 10-team leagues. Now, I know. I'll say this. I mean, he had 99, literally over 99% of the targets he's had in his NFL career have come from Phillip Rivers. So he's worked with virtually just one guy. Mm-hmm. Questions of the position with Taylor, he's dealt with some injury issues the past few years. I, I really like him as a player, but he had some trouble staying on the field with the Browns. He's kind of been relegated to a backup role for the most part since. And then Herbert, you don't really know what to expect. I talked about the Burrow assimilating in a short and offseason. All the talent that Herbert has still. Those are the concerns. It's, it's really all about the quarterback position for Keenan Allen's fantasy value. But otherwise, what he's done in his own right is unquestioned. I mean, top six receiver, like we said last year, and no games missed since 2016, the last four seasons. He hasn't missed a game. Not a prolific touchdown producer, but a guy who's going to get you the points in virtually every other aspect. And I think he's a high-end wide receiver, too, who's going much later uh, than that overall. 
And some other guys I just want to throw out there that I've noticed have been going on kind of the cheaper, you know, down there. Stephon Diggs, T.Y. Hilton, Julian Edelman, Debo Samuel, Michael Gallup, all guys that I think have some pretty good upside and that you can, you know, if if you did blow the budget on the running backs and you spent a little too much you wanted to, I think in the bottom half of these wide receivers, there's some good quality talent that could help you out and build your roster. Absolutely, Paul. I think all those guys definitely on the list. The one guy that stuck out to me as being especially disrespected in drafts this year is Julian Edelman. How about this stat for what kind of floor this guy has as a fantasy asset? There were just two NFL receivers who had 12 top 30 finishes last year. So basically three quarters of their games, they were a top 30 receiver. Two guys in the whole NFL, Michael Thomas and Julian Edelman. <laughs> this guy, I can't believe it. I can't oh, either. That's, uh, I can't. By surprise. I, I, I'm going to, uh, in one mock, I got him for a dollar. I mean, it was it was at the end. I know. I could not believe it. It was basically I nominated him and I had him. So, I mean, that is what's going on right now. And, yeah, the, the he's not he's not falling off the edge because, I you know, Cam can throw the ball. I, I know there's questions about the injury and all that, but when he sees him in the slot or, you know, working underneath, he's still going to get those PPR points. I think he's going to love him, Cam. I mean, we mentioned it for White. That may coalesce well with Cam's style. It's certainly going to hold true for Edelman as well. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I guess it's just maybe the early renditions of drafts with people assuming Jared Stidham was in place, and they were going off that months ago when they were doing very early drafts. Mm-hmm. They're huge football nerds like me. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. His, his, his value is just not adjusted. I cannot believe some sites he's going as like a 10th-round receiver in 10-team leagues. You can get this guy for a couple bucks. It's insane. I... I I couldn't jump on that fast enough. Now, I do just want to jump on this quickly. Tight ends. We know Kittle, Kelsey, they're going big. Ertz, I've seen him slide a little bit, and I'm kind of surprised how big the drop-off is from those two to where Ertz is going and that. But me, you know, I do kind of sometimes want to slide in and get a cheap tight end, maybe a Mike Gusecki type or a Noah Fant. I've noticed they're going on the cheap. What, what do you think about that strategy? I don't hate it. I mean, it's going to depend what kind of risk you're willing to take on the position. I'm a guy, I know a lot of people really do not like the two tight end strategy. And I, I am with them. Yes. If you have an elite tight end. Yes. For me, if I don't get an elite guy, like if I don't, I think the drop off is probably around that five slot. We've got obviously the elite guys, one and two, and probably three, Kelsey, Kittle, and Andrews or Ertz at the three or four. And then I think Darren Waller is that fifth guy who's really exciting and you feel really good about this. For me, mm-hmm. that's that fifth guy if I'm going to put him in that elite or borderline elite tier. And then after that, I really like, if we're going to wait, I'm into stacking two tight ends. And I'm, I know that's, you know, it's an it's extra roster spot. You're only going to start probably one. But if I'm looking at a combo like a Hayden Hurst and a Mike Gesicki, or a Noah fan and, you know, Austin Hooper type. Austin Hooper, by the way, going pretty low for yeah. a guy that's made back-to-back Pro Bowls. I, I don't know, Paul. What do you think about that? Are you all out on two tight ends if you're going to wait and take two flyers? See, I can't justify spending the money for them if I'm going running back and I'm I'm spending more on wide receiver. I, I'll roll the dice with those down, down load. Yeah, I and it. And I might just stick with the cheap option and then just hope pick someone up on the waiver wire as we go along. I mean, that's just how I roll on it. 
Definitely. I can see that. I can see that strategy for sure being a lucrative one. And we'll wind it up with the quarterbacks. Now we talked about it depends your preference on QBs. A lot of us like to wait, get that cheap quarterback. Are there any, obviously Mahomes people, he's driving the prices up and whatnot, but are there anyone in that, like the lower to mid tier level that you see is great value right now? Now it's certainly not going to be the uh, most spicy pick here, but just old reliable and a guy who I think if we're going to wait, this is a guy who does have top five upside and someone who's actually done it a couple times. That's Matt Ryan, uh, perennially underrated in my opinion. Of course, his career outlook had they won on had they held on to that Super Bowl twenty eight to three. Of course, the infamous his respect that he's getting, I think, across the league will be completely different, and I think that's just a reality. But I do think overall, he's just an underrated player. He's actually surprisingly had two top two finishes the past four years. I mean, this is a San Francisco Giants-esque every other type of year, win a championship. That's like Matt Ryan in fantasy. 2016 and 2018, he's the second quarterback in each of those years. And this is an even year, Paul. This is, a, this is an even year, which means <laughs> yes. he should finish second this year. I don't see it. I, I don't think he has that much upside. To finish second, I mean, we got Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes and Dak and Russell. Yeah. I don't quite see him as top four guy, but I really do see him as top five potentially, and certainly top ten. He's a guy with a high floor, and on the defensive side, I think they're going to have some problems, similarly to what ups Daniel Jones' value for me. So for me, I think that Matt Ryan, he's going in that kind of quarterback eight to ten range. I think his floor is there, and I think his ceiling is around. QB five, so that for me, Ryan. If we're gonna if we're gonna wait on quarterback, Ryan's an old reliable. No one in your league is gonna be going whooping and you know, ooh, you took yes. Matt Ryan, but yeah, no, it's like this is not this is a reliable pick. I'm taking a you know, I'm getting myself a Toyota Camry. <laughs> yep. And there's one more guy. I, I see it in your notes, so I, I we have to mention Minshew Mania. Obviously, he's not going for a lot if anything, in your draft. And and you like him? I like him as a punt on the position guy. Yes. We're going, we're talking about like a 14-team league. You're in a deeper league. This is a guy I really like. If you're going to just wait and go no quarterback strategy and virtually wait till the 12th round, 13th round, he's a pretty high floor. This is a guy, two-thirds of his appearances last year, or two-thirds of his starts, I should say, he had 16 or more fantasy points in standard scoring. So a pretty high floor. And then you also consider they got Jay Gruden coming to town, the new offensive coordinator. Uh, you know, some darkness to the end of the <laughs> chapter in Washington, but now yeah. he's down in Jacksonville. And you think about what uh, Kirk Cousins did with him. You know, Kirk Cousins was a top 11 quarterback each of those three years that he had Gruden as his OC. Mm-hmm. And he had 4,000 passing yards each of those years with an average of 27 touchdowns per year while Kirk had Jay Gruden as his OC, as offensive coordinator. Minshew last year, a very respectable 21-6 to touchdown interception. And I just like this guy's guts. He went toe-to-toe with Deshaun Watson, number of close games down the stretch. I saw him watch, you know, watch him against my Broncos, duke out uh, Bradley Chubb and Von Miller on the same play. He got this Jaguars team to a 6-6 and record. I don't think this team had any business being a 500 team. They, they weren't because Nick Foles went 0-4 as the starter, of course, yep. a big money free agent. Mm-hmm. But for me, man, Minshew definitely being slept on. He put up huge numbers at Washington State. Certainly, he's not playing in the Pac-12 anymore. But it's going to be a pretty porous Jaguars defense. Not what we've been used to or been expecting of late. I think Minshew in deep leagues definitely has some utility here. 
And I'm just going to wrap up the auction preview here with if anyone in your league spends more than $3 on a defense, kick them out. Amen. Put them <laughs> out. I just, I, I, don't, I have noticed this and I'm like, come on. It's a bucket defense. Come on. Just wait. I mean, the, the turnover <laughs> at the position, it's so unpredictable. Yes. Who's going to be good year to year? Like, it's just crazy. It's about half of the teams that are drafted as top 10 defenses end up finishing yeah. outside the top 10. It's just incredibly difficult to predict that position. Mm-hmm. And it's also just not a ton of difference top to bottom once you get past the elite team. Once again, that's NFL writer for Rotowire, Corey Smith, breaking it all down, getting you ready for your auction draft. Best of luck. They're a whole lot of fun. And again, if you need help with the other draft formats, we got our Keeper League preview out, also general redraft previews and who we like, and the quarterbacks, new faces, new places. All those can be found in the archive section right now. Check it out, trying to get you ready for your fantasy football draft this year. And thanks for checking us out, Fantasy Football Zone. Subscribe to the Fantasy Football Zone and give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Follow us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Football Zone podcast.